is there, is there a date on this? this Look wow. on the bottom of the can. Is it on the very? Oh, 04. 29 2015 it's seven years old ryan after past the expiration date almost eight years old proceed at your own risk oh god i don't know i'll stay tuned uh to see if brian has that's liquor at this point beer poisoning by the end of this episode uh brian brian might also have a doctor's appointment right after (laughs) right after this episode Welcome to episode 250 of Pub Theology Live. How did we get to 250? A weekly conversation on life and faith over a craft brew pint, a fine wine, or whatever happens to be in your glass. On today's episode, the Reverends Shannon Weston, Ogan Holder, and yours truly, Brian Burkoff, will address and engage what's happening through a theological lens, the good brew in hand. How did we get to 250? Very slowly. How many years have we been doing this podcast? I feel like we should have been much further along. But, you know, we take we take all the summers off. What do we do? Like two months, almost three months of the year we take off. But we are here and, and I'm very stoked that we're still doing this. Um, and we can still do this and enjoy beverages with our own Pub Theology Life pint glass. If you become a supporter on Patreon, uh, while supplies last, you can get one of those. Head over to patreon.com slash ptlive. You get some uh, extra content as a result, some stuff we record before and after the show. We might just uh, prolong the discussion or totally talk about something different. Like Shannon and Brian can spend 15, 20 minutes talking about football and I just sit here bored out of my skull. But we, we wait till you log off sometimes. <laughs> sometimes you do. And listen. <laughs> Grateful for that. From <laughs> all, not my thing. Anyways, as always, thank you to our current patrons. If you'd like to become a patron, head over to patreon.com slash ptlive. Today we'll be discussing sky balloons, spy balloons in the sky, um, <laughs> the national prayer <laughs> breakfast, truth, and I do not write these, God's surveillance system. Thank you, Brian. So what are we drinking, boys, today for pub theology? Um, as you know, it's 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 my dry week. I'm doing a, the first week of every month is a dry week. And today is the last day of my dry week. So I'm drinking. Oh, shoot. I forgot to bring the bottle to show you the label. I'm drinking a a, a quintessential Barbadian beverage called Mobby. That's spelled M-A-U-B-Y. Um, it is um, definitely a subjective um, idea if you like this or not. Um, if the emotion bittersweet had to be turned into a taste this is what it is it is it is the it is very bitter and very sweet all at once it's made from the bark of a tree um, but now it's more sold um in um, as a syrup that you need to dilate uh dilate dilute um and and it is <laughs> that's an interesting or- syrup <laughs> right and really uh, crank it up there <laughs> and it and it has to be sweet for you to to, to handle the bitterness of it so uh, it is non-alcoholic it is called Mobby. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah, is it carbonated? Question. No, it is not. It not is. Carbonated. It is not carbonated. Um, so yeah, this is this is what I'm drinking today, and and I gotta because the syrup is so sweet. I gotta be careful of not drinking like too much of it in any one given day uh, <laughs> to get my get my sugar intake up. But but I love this drink, and usually when I come back to the U.S., I'll bring a bottle of the syrup and experiment on all my American friends. And I maybe can count on one hand the number of American friends <laughs> who actually like the taste of it. And yeah. even those, like, there's a chance they're just being nice. Uh, yeah, there's that, there's, there's, <laughs> there's that too. There's that too. I actually had, my favorite was one friend who went like, oh, this isn't bad. I actually kind of like, oh wait, oh, there's the bitter. Uh-uh, nope, not for me. <laughs> so, so yeah, there's that. Ryan, what are you drinking today? So today I am drinking uh, Manitou Amber Ale by Brewery Terra Firma up north uh, in Traverse City. 
in Michigan and it's a cool brewery. They have like a 10 acre farm and source nearly all their ingredients right there. Um, and so it's, it's pretty cool. Manitou was one of Michigan's most widely recognized uh, microbrews uh, long before craft beer became a badge of hipster status, it says. Uh, so there you go. It's rich, soft malt body, deep amber color, and whole cone hops finish is preserved using our original equipment, imparting a flavor as distinct as the wild islands in Lake Michigan for which it's named. So there you uh, go. There you go. There you go. Shannon. What do you got, Shannon? Well, my good brew today is a brewed luzerne iced tea. Um, sorry to be non-alcoholic as well. I We were in Cooperstown, New York this weekend and have so much Oma Gang. Oh my God. Brought home to share. Whoa, that is. A That's all head. Of- that is all head. All head. That's what she said. <laughs> trying to find a different way to say it. That's all. Um- <laughs> there, there is no different way to say that. It's a lot of foam. Um, <laughs> so so I have like four or five different Oma Gang brews. So I'm going to roll them out over the next few weeks. But oh. uh, today I have a doctor's appointment right after. And I all of them are very high. Yes. Um, high octane, like almost 10%. The one, the wit that we have home is only a five, but it's a pint still. And I was like, I can't waste this. And, you know, I can't have a couple sips and then go to a doctor's appointment. So I'm just drinking iced tea. That's I the long love way around. Oh, my gang. Oh, my, oh my gosh. It's so good. so good. So we're going to that'll be it'll be oh my gang February in honor of our weekend. <laughs> nice. Brian's just trying to get a sip of any every, every, any bit of the actual. Everybody's drinking. This is not a sour ale. It's tasting really sour. Oh, and it's- I'm, I'm wondering how old this is. <laughs> <laughs> what? Bear, bear don't go bad and wink, wink. <laughs> is, that, is there a date on this? this Look wow. on the bottom of the can. Isn't on the very. Oh, yeah. What, what, what you got this there? Stimulating podcast moment I, here. I, I know, right? 4 2015. <gasps> It's seven years old, Ryan. After Quint. past the expiration date. Almost eight years old. Proceed at your own risk. Oh, God. I don't know. Well, I don't stay know. tuned uh, to see if Brian has... That's liquor at this point. Beer poisoning by the end of this episode. Uh, Brian Brian might also have a doctor's appointment right after, right after <laughs> this episode. Exactly. I think I'm going to hurl. I think that's why it foamed up so badly. Uh, you think? <laughs> Wow, that is weird. Okay, well, where where was it, this it is, in your house? Yeah, no, I, I, not, bought, I bought a few singles just for the podcast at a local you know party store, and it was one mm. of the lonely singles. And I think it's been on wow. the shelf a long time. Um, yeah. they need to be better about that. I would, I would take that back. Also, not so weird since you discovered the date. Yeah, what? No, dude, I was kind of kidding when I said beer don't go bad, but I mean. Is seven, there a, seven years you know is there is there a description of the flavor is it supposed to be sour no it's not it's it's supposed to be I an mean, amber which is a pretty mild flavor yeah i mean wait does beer go bad i mean yes how, how... beer goes bad yes yes it does we'll see how bad i've never had one he's still drinking it too i've never had one long enough for it to go bad <laughs> right it exactly does go bad. Exactly. Now I will say like, no, we've, we've had, we have a beer fridge of like a refrigerator dedicated for beer. Ooh, fancy. And in it, we've had like pumpkin ales or something that have seen the season end and then gone around to the next season. Sure. And I'm, I'm like, mm, like yeah, a, year, that, a year is not crazy. Seven, a year, however, a year is not crazy, but it, I'm, I'm, but I'm starting to get skeptical at a year, you know, like I, I fully admit. This is almost eight years because April of 2015. Brian is clearly drinking in oh, faith it's today. April. Yeah, then it's eight years. He drinks, by fa- he drinks by faith, not by it, sight. It <laughs> says it's 5.7 ABV, but I think now it's 20.7. I was going to say, it's going to be, uh, it's just, it's pure, you know, whatever beer turns into, oh my God. whatever mead goes to, you know, whatever. Oh, yeah. Wow. Woo. All right. I don't know what happens, but. <laughs> On to today's topics. Well, we all saw uh, in the news that last week a Chinese spy balloon was discovered and shot down over the U.S. 
The balloon was somehow able to get past our West Coast anti-balloon defense system, <laughs> the Seattle Space Needle. And then it was brought to light that there were three such Chinese spy balloons during the previous administration that flew over the U.S. So how did you react to that? Does this give you a newfound fear of balloons? And is there anything crazy that you have ever launched into the air? You know, maybe thinking back to childhood. I like, I don't know. I mostly ignore this story. Like I never, it never, you know, for, for me, it was like, oh, wait, this, this didn't happen all the time. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> like I, I had assumed, I had assumed that we all got stuff up in the air spying on each other, satellites, balloons, planes. Like I, it, was, it never occurred to me that this was a rare thing. That was my reaction was like, what a dumbass spy method <laughs> that you're going to send up a balloon <laughs> and it's going to float in through, you know, the Alaska and make its way. Like that was, I was like, there is better technology than this friends. There so, are all kinds of memes of like right. spy balloon over Ohio. And it's like guy with a beer scratching his, you know, like, right. whatever. it's like, what do you, like Google did this for you friends. They did it for yeah, you really. already. <laughs> I heard, I heard that it actually does make an effective spying device because it is slow. It is slow moving. Right. And, yeah. and can be so high that, that, it it normally doesn't register that that there's something right so and and it just drifts on the currents the air currents which will naturally take it you know south and east um on on whatever jet stream it's is traveling on so it's yeah that so it sort of it sort of makes sense why why it could be used as a as a spying device plus you know, given the spate of how ridiculous people get around gender reveals, somebody's probably looking up at that thing and going, oh, it's probably just like a gender reveal party gone wrong. There so we're go. just going to ignore ignore the thing. So, I, yeah, I, I, I mean, didn't give it any second thought. The most interesting article I read about it, or and again, I didn't do much, but it was was the you know, yes, it's a spy balloon, but what it really is, is China testing how far they can go to invade American airspace before there's, you know, like it's, it's the kid that's nagging, right? Like, like, let me see how far I can push you. And, and I think that's probably the most accurate representation of what's going on here. Mm. It's just so weird because you don't think of a balloon and think, Ooh, international, you know, right. espionage. <laughs> and again, like maybe genius or stupid, you know. Genius. Like what, what is the ultimate high tech? Low tech. Right. Exactly. <laughs> we go high, Stick they go high low. tech on low tech things. <laughs> exactly. You know, yeah. and this is this is also reminding me of like the current trend of like the youngest Gen Zers who are like ditching smartphones and going back to flip phones, right? And we have a whole mm. conversation around yeah. this, this or something, right? So it's Last like week, it's yeah. like, yeah, what's that was a whole week ago, wasn't it? Man, it time. So is it? <laughs> so is this Gen Z Chinese spies? Probably. <laughs> they just stuck a flip phone on a balloon and like sent <laughs> exactly. it over. <laughs> Probably. Exactly. <laughs> Oh <laughs> it does like um base code every time it sends a picture back. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Nice. A few years back, my kids were making a homemade rocket and they um figured they had a toad that they captured and oh, they God. put a put a, a parachute on the toad. She shot him, <laughs> shot him in the air pretty high, and he landed back safely. They're like racing through the field chasing after the parachute with the toad. It was pretty funny. I mean, we've built some soda, um, baking soda rockets and things like that, um, which we find really fun. Um, when I was a kid, I mean, these were all, I just remember my, my dad was, um, crazy with this kind of stuff. I mean, he wasn't like whatever, but he would get a bunch of fireworks and we were in Tennessee, so you could buy whatever you wanted to buy, you know, and we'd shoot off those little parachute ones. Um, but we lived in this like regular neighborhood where the houses were real close together. <laughs> you'd shoot it off and it'd be on somebody's roof or <laughs> like you go running through these people's yards. And we were doing it like ridiculously late one night. And I was, I was little, so I don't know why I was up at like one or two in the morning, but I was finding, and you know, I found one and yelled, screamed at the top of my lungs, like, I found 
And my dad's like, shut the fuck up. You know, what are you doing? Um, like, you're going to wake everybody up. And I'm like, we're literally setting off rockets. Like, what do you, right. like, you think my yelling that I found the parachute guy is going to wake everybody up? Nice. Um, and I don't know. I don't remember. We didn't, sh- we weren't a gun family in anything. So there wasn't any like throwing stuff up and shooting it. Like there, there wasn't any rocket um, launching in our family. Like there wasn't a lot of stuff like that. So I have lots of other very dangerous childhood stories, but not of shooting things in the air. (laughs) Sure. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. So I saw that the national prayer breakfast happened last week. I forgot that was still a thing, uh, but apparently it is. And in fact, this year there were two of them. One, um, I think at the Capitol or somewhere on Capitol Hill and one like at the Hilton where it's been in the past. And the second one is sponsored by, I think, the group, The Family. So read into that what you will. But at the one the president was at, uh, he said, President Biden, my prayer for this prayer breakfast is to start to see each other again, look at each other again, travel with each other again, argue like hell with each other again, but then still go to lunch together. Uh, I love you. So the question is, you know, discuss the challenge of keeping friendships with people with whom you sharply disagree on various issues. Have you been able to do that? Or have you had to sort of end relationships because the differences are so great that either out of personal conscience or it just doesn't work because the divisive topics get in the way of the friendship? Didn't Ecclesiastes teach us that everything has a season? It does. Yes, and I believe I believe that about friendships as well. Uh, no, I don't. Oh, I thought you were going to say that about prayer breakfasts. Well, I thought the question from the prayer too. breakfast was going to be, why didn't they feed us enough that we immediately need to go to lunch? That's what I was there's, confused about. There's ah. that too. Is there a national prayer brunch? Let's split the difference. <laughs> there, there um, no, I think I think no. There, there's there's enough angst in my life. I don't I don't need to maintain a friendship with someone. I sharply disagree with. In fact, more often than not, uh, you're not going to get to be a good friend of mine if we sharply disagree on on issues. Because, and, and I'm not saying I I need an echo chamber. I'm simply saying, when I'm around friends, I I want to chill. I want to relax. Yes, I want to have substantive discussions, but I don't. I don't need to make my friendships my work <laughs> as well. So, so no, I'm not gonna, life is too short for me to hold on to stuff like that. Now, do I, do I have friends who disagree with me? Yes. Uh, and my choices? Yes. And do they let me know? Oh, hell yes. And that's okay too. That's, I want friends like that to hold me accountable uh, to myself. But in terms of uh, uh, sharply like religious and political things. Uh, no, I got, I got enough of that. In, I got enough of that in my work life. I don't, I don't need that in my, in my personal life too. And That's it's fair. interesting, Brian, that this went to friendships because I think, I mean, in this context, this is much more of a political and work, what I would say, work-life arena. That's true. It's really saying to the lawmakers, you should be able to do this. Right. The lawmakers and the religious leaders, quite honestly, right? right. Like Fair. that we, yeah. we in our work need to do that. So I do think it's two different discussions mm-hmm. to say, who is my inner circle of friendship? No, I, and I would agree with Ogan in terms of friendship, like life is hard enough. I can't be, you know, having people whose values are so opposite of mine, who live out, you know, those things in such vastly different ways again, not an echo chamber, but a, but a genuine, you know, mutual understanding of how we value the world and people and, you know, whatever. But in terms of what I, I do agree with the sentiment in terms of the way the world is functioning right now, what we need to do to, to get back to, um, especially in a legislative process, Mm -hmm. right. Of not just, hey, let's do this together, but literally even just being able to sit down together and find, you know, anything to see each other's humanity. We just need to get back to that level. Um, And that should be a goal of ours in every arena of our lives. Yeah. And I think, you know, from my understanding, it used to be much more that way on Capitol Hill, like in the 70s and maybe 
early 80s. And I don't know if it was the rise of the moral majority or I think actually a lot of it I've read was uh, Newt Gingrich coming in on the right and just saying, no, we're not to be friends with people we disagree with politically. We're here to, you know, take names and accomplish our agenda. Mm -hmm. And there's no time for friendship with the other side who began to be called the enemy. And then, of course, the Democrats start to reciprocate that attitude and the thing kind of devolves to where we are today. It's much more multifaceted historically than what I just said, of course, but it could be better. And I think, to, as you said, kind of needs to be. And you wonder to what level that level of dysfunction filters down to our communities and our ability uh, locally to do that. Also, I'd like to point out that not all good friends make good travel companions. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are some people I, I love dearly and I will sit and break bread with you and drink with you and all that, but I am not taking a road trip with you because <laughs> you got, you got, you got some distinctive things that make it hard to be in a car for an extended period of time. So yeah, it yeah. does say travel with each other again. It doesn't does it? say yeah, it <laughs> does seem a little odd in that whole thing, but yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> Whether that's literal or metaphorical, yeah, seriously. Yeah, right. But yeah. but I think in this situation, it might be literal, right? Like of like, hey, yeah. we need to take delegations and blah blah blah, and we need to be able to travel together again. Um, yeah, yeah. It, I again, I agree with the sentiment, but I also agree with the care of letting go of relationships in your own life that are too too hard that you no longer, you know, you're giving up um, in a negative way too much of yourself in order and, to keep that relationship. And and even necessarily, and, and some good ones as well. Like, like we have this, we have this very like, like, you know, saturated idea that a relationship is, is a relationship is only successful if it lasts, right? Whether it's a work relationship, a family relationship, a friendship relationship, romantic relationship, if it doesn't, if the relationship comes to an end, somebody's failed somewhere. And, and for me, it's like, no, rela the relationships are here to serve us, not we serve them. Mm -hmm. So, so sometimes relationships run their course and it's okay. That mm -hmm. doesn't mean anybody's failed or it's wrong. And then sometimes you run into the person and y'all pretend that you're going to get together a few weeks and months from now. Well, you know, it's not going to happen, but you say it anyways, because somehow we feel we need a succeed at, at maintaining something but but yeah that the people will come and go in our lives all the time mm. always happens and i think that's healthy yeah yeah I, I will say i do feel like the prayer breakfast was a was a good time if not the right time to say that i i would yeah. agree with that that yeah. that is a that is a that was a good space to make to send that message yes and interestingly, he noted, and I don't know if this relates to the division, but he noted that the current makeup in Congress is the most ethnically and racially diverse body in the history of Congress. And that also actually goes into different faiths and people of no faith. And he commented on that saying, differences express uh, the infinite creativity of God, who is able to see, he says his, but we might say she or their reflection in countless ways in different people. It's also an expression of the American conviction that diversity is one of our greatest strengths. So I like that he said that. I, I agree with that. Um, I don't know. Are, are there people who would disagree with that? Yeah. I mean, we know there yeah. are, but. <laughs> well, what's what do you mean? Are they people who would disagree? <laughs> oh, I'm going to get it wrong. Who's the representative from uh, the woman from i think it's minnesota ilhan omar yeah who then like this the around the same time gets voted out um of her committee because you know mm -hmm. she's yeah. automatically a terrorist so she can't be on the committee that she, she can't be on the foreign affairs committee on the foreign right. affairs committee because she's going to just recruit terrorists you know <laughs> so yes there are people who disagree with this <laughs> they are um, people and whenever we use the word, uh, you know, diversity is one of our greatest strengths. Whenever we use the word diverse, I'm like, diverse from what? Right. So, so basically, what we're implying is that there's a diverse, there is, we are diverse from the standard of whiteness. Oh, for that's, sure. That's what that word means a lot of. And I, and I, I really, I really wish uh, folks would sort of um, 
say say it in its in its fullness um mm. rather than just than than just say that because in many ways saying that um implies implies an other in um well and let's, right it assumes a baseline normativity of whiteness exactly. well and let's go further with it it assumes a baseline normativity of white male christian yeah. heterosexualness yep. perfect it it really like it's all of those things yep um and so and, and then when a white straight male says this uh it's like isn't it great there's people who aren't like me here yeah. right then everybody kind of goes <laughs> like I don't, I don't know if you should have said that i mean it, but it, you know it, again when uncle joe it, says it when uncle joe says it you're like oh uncle joe please don't. please don't please don't kiss niece whatever like that like please don't that's just creepy um yeah and yet you know it really is like and yet again like the sentiment isn't wrong of give us you're tired you're hungry and you're poor and and actually even as i went through that list like i might add middle to upper class right like there i don't think that in the diversity conversation we talk enough about the class differentiation that goes on in this country mm -hmm. so you know all of this is included and and my guess is there's not a lot of people what would be missing from that room is a lot of people from that you know lower economic status um cuz they're hard right. well they're in the room but they're serving the breakfast you know they're <laughs> not at the table yes so Facts. you know they're still even in the celebrating our diversity we're still leaving out groups of people yeah you know? absolutely it's also partly the most diverse congress cuz we have the most diverse congressman ever who's been an infinite number of things in his background you know all you the know, things he's, he's been, been a unicorn wrangler in his things as things. well did you hear the latest one about him him producing uh but he, he he apparently told someone he was one of the producers of the broadway musical spider-man stop <laughs> and, and and the and this is true and the company came out and said and again it was a it was a by all standards a failed production they had so many technical issues or a lot of injuries all that stuff and they came out and said uh we have had many issues with our production we admit but we are proud to say that george santos was not one of them <laughs> i thought you were going to say they were coming out going great so if he was a producer he gets to share in the insurance liabilities oh, yeah. that we are facing yeah right this. this this dude this dude uh, no, he had 99 he, problems know, but george santos wasn't one but, but but here's here's the thing though <laughs> you know we know politicians are liars and in many respects he is really the first truly honest politician because his lies are all out there the truly consummate oh, no. american oh no he he had a mentor in that he had a oh, real mentor he sure did he had a role model <laughs> unbelievable um maybe you mentioned this already shannon but how do we should there still be a a national prayer breakfast in this country like is that a good thing i mean i i think if it's you know open to the diversity of faiths and no faith that I was going to say our has to be our that, our, but... our prayers that are representative of all our faiths. Uh, do, do those prayers happen um, at this breakfast? I've never watched sure. one of them. I don't know what happens in them, but but if if it does, if 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 all faiths are represented represented and and prayers from all faiths are are heard, uh, sure, because because um, religion in all its di diverse forms using that word again in all its varied forms uh are are part of what make us who we are yeah. as as a nation so so yes i don't see the harm in it but yes if it's if it is a national prayer breakfast that assumes christianity as the grounding of it then no i don't think i don't think it should exist Agreed. also what are they what do they serve for food at the national prayer breakfast in the West Wing, they served pancakes and they were serving Vermont maple syrup. And Barlow was very upset that they were not serving New Hampshire maple syrup. But oh, I don't man. know what they serve in this White House. At, at the at the <laughs> second one at the Hilton, they served a quiche. Uh, and apparently it was they were more generous with the food at that one. And it was more light stuff at the. I'm looking that up now. Okay. So so actually, this is funny because like I went to West Wing because 
there's a West Wing episode, which I love and seen too many times that I care to admit. I miss but that there's, show. I, uh, there's one called The Red Mass, and it's the opening of the Supreme Court. And at the National Cathedral every year, they have a mass before the day of the opening of the Supreme Court. And there's this question about, well, what about church and state? And, you know, the writing, and and I'm not going to get the quote exactly right, but He's like, well, sometimes, you know, you just say, like, sometimes you just say, forget it. Sometimes you just say, like, we're just going to do this. And, and of course, we know church and state is way more nuanced than, like, politicians showing up together to. But again, you know, if we're talking about needing um, a spirit of unification in some way or another, you know, I I don't see a problem with it as long as there's, again, as long as people aren't excluded in the process. I'm sure someone is excluded in the process, right? We can't ever, you know, it's just, it, I really do sometimes feel it's just going to be impossible. Someone's going to get left out of that. And yet I think the spirit is a good idea. Uh, um, but yeah, it's it's not it's not like the prayer in school conversation. It's a very different, you know, you're invited to sit at a table to speak with other people, to have topics that, you know, they're trying to get information and share on and and I think it's a good idea. But- yeah, and you know, where I hear a lot of pushback on this kind of thing is the the example or the practice I should say at like local county government of having a prayer before proceedings or a meeting and it's invariably a christian and awfully often a very preachy white male sort of preaching their conservative view of religion and that's the only voice in the room when it comes to the prayer component that i have a problem with sure yeah so i can't i can't seem to find are you still looking at the menu what was served oh yeah i'm obsessed (laughs) now but somebody is like this is why i love this country um somebody on ebay is is trying to sell a menu from the 1979 prayer breakfast <laughs> for 10 bucks in which was served chilled orange juice mushroom quiche half a pear with lingonberries beef sausages and rolls wow. actually that sounds rather tasty i will get done with some of that as long as they're selling the menu and not the actual food from 1979 Ooh, like your beer <laughs> like my beer <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah uh, pop open a Coors Light from did you see that someone went and got a bottle of sand and put it in a ball jar from the very spot Tom Brady announced his retirement and they're selling oh, it on eBay and people were bidding on it like over $90,000 with people I'm like people? why didn't I think of that I could have just flown down there oh my god or just go to the beach here and get some sand I was gonna say like what is it like is there a video of, of, you know, ugh. they had photos like with the exact same background and like a newspaper with the date and they had all these things. I mean, to listen, listen, verify it. Trump sold out of his NFTs. Why are we surprised? Why are we surprised anymore? <laughs> really? Seriously? Yes. Those things sold out. Oh my God, do you out. not remember that? No, I remember he sold them. I just, I'm amazed he, people yeah, bought them. They sold oh, out like the day did, of. Brian. Of course <laughs> they did. What a country we live in. Oh my god. I'm to be alive. Wow. I my favorite part of that whole thing was like, I have a big announcement. And everybody's like, oh god, here it comes. He's running for president. He's like, I'm selling these things. And we're like, oh my god. Anyway. He got the last laugh though. Dude, dude racing cash. All right. So there's a new book out called The Arc of Truth, The Thinking of Martin Luther King Jr. And it's written by longtime King scholar Louis Baldwin. And he focuses in the book on what King had to say about truth. He says, we're living in an age of lies and conspiracy theories and alternative truths, basically disinformation. I wanted to write a book that would speak to that. And since I'm a King scholar, I thought King would be a great case study for looking at the power of truth, truth telling, and so on. And he notes that King really saw the relationship between facts, truth, and reality, seeing truth as coming to terms with reality. So, you know, how timely is that, I guess, is the question for the challenge we have today with understanding what is true and what isn't. And then secondarily, how does your, and does your faith or your religious tradition inform your understanding of what we might understand as true. 
he would be losing his shit right now. Oh my Seriously. God. <laughs> I, don't, yes. I don't know he'd make it. It's, it's, it is insane. But but yes, fact and truth are two different things. And and truth is truth is subjective. Truth is relative. Truth is interpretation. Um, facts, I think, are fairly indisputable. When I say fairly indisputable is, again, sometimes we denote things as fact. We denote things as fact until new information presents itself to change our minds. Yeah, you know? so you you talked about truth there as subjective. He he notes that King spoke in terms of objective truth, that is, those truths that are universally accepted and truths that are vi- verifiable, which is, I think, more what you're saying in terms of Yeah, facts. I'm making I'm making distinction. Um, but so so yes, so I don't, you know, objective truth is, I think, a thing I will have issue with using, yeah, those pairing those two things together well i mean it's the challenge right that there are things that are you might say objectively true uh about the universe and and the world we live in but at what level are any one of us able to perfectly grasp it um because we're all approaching reality subjectively we can't access a non-subjective experience of life exactly that's a sort of exactly what I was trying to say. And, but, and, and well, hold on, even, even, even things that, so even like scientific facts, right? Those, yes. we discover new things as we go along and go like, oh, that thing we thought was a fact before isn't the fact that we thought it was. Now we have to update or, or for things, sure, right? For sure. So, but science also goes through the process of peer review and verifiable via others. So it's not just, Hey, I did this thing and now this no, is No, no, I I I agree. And even after all that sometimes new information as as technology increases and our way to understand things increase we go like, "Oh, that whole thing that was that fact that was once peer reviewed and and understood as as unarguable, we might have to tweak that a little bit." Right? So every every time they go deeper into the atom, for example, and right. and and the nature of existence itself, they're like, "Oh, oh, all the things we we thought about atoms and quarks and all that shit is like, oh, we might have to rethink that." It's like the more we know, the more we find out we don't know. True. And it is, I would say, objective truth that this beer is old and has seen better days. <laughs> Yeah, so and that drinking. and how you feel about it afterwards will definitely be subjective. And he's still drinking <laughs> he's still it. Is drinking. The thing. Oh, God. oh, look how look look how foamy it still is, even at the oh, end. I can't. I can't. <laughs> you know, I think it's, it, I think it's gotten to his brain a little bit already. <laughs> yeah, it really is at like twenty five percent alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in terms of, I I like I in terms of like truth and how my faith informs my understanding, like that, that is always a difficult conversation. Um, I wrote an email earlier today where there's an argument happening in the PCUSA right now that um, our ordin- one of our ordination exams is to do an exegesis of a text and the text that was chosen is a horrible, um, horrible text out of Judges where a man basically offers his young daughter and his concubine to an army of soldiers and says, have at it as long as you don't kill me or, you know, it just is absolutely awful. And and the so there's an argument happening as to whether that should have been chosen or not. And there's an argument happening as to the response in which was given, um, which was extremely um, not extremely tone deaf. Let's put it that way. Anyway, I use this like justifying it. Yes. The response justifying like there was no justifying. um, And, and it was, it was not, Anyway, but you're dealing with a situation where there are people's truths that they are speaking. And then there is this, you know, system. And I, and I wrote, so I serve on the committee in our presbytery, excuse me, that is in charge of the people that are going through the ordination process. And 
the question I asked today was what is our responsibility as a committee to hold the people in power accountable, not just for their choosing of this text, but to their response. Mm. And it's a very like, and so I used the phrase truth, you know, truth, how do we speak truth to power? And I also use the phrase like, how do we speak truth in love in, in both of these settings? And so use it, you know, as you ask this question of like, how does my faith or religious tradition inform my understanding of what truth is, then there, there needs to be a recognition of um, people's experience, people's understanding, people, you know, people's truth telling mm. to the systems of power. And somehow we need to find a way to be better at holding those that of honoring those truth tellings and holding those systems accountable, which is exactly, I think, why this guy wrote this book, right? Like that's yeah. that's the exact kind of conversation he is having. So it it's super complicated because it, there's no real like. So the only fact in this is well, there's many, but like the fact is there are hard things in the Bible that we have to deal with. Sure, that is true. What is also true is that this is a very trigger. Let's not, let's get into the statistics of the population in which are taking this ordination exam. And then let's compare that to the statistics. Let's overlay the statistics of sexual assault that have affected these people, you know, the percentage of people. And then let's talk about the system in which they are going through the, the week long process they have to do this while you're holding their ordination hostage in order for them to like, so there's all of these literal facts, but the truth of it is much bigger and harder to deal with. So I just, I don't know where to go with that as much as I offer it up to say, this is yeah. really fucking hard. And we are, this is exactly the work we need to be doing with each other. Mm -hmm. um, exactly. Yeah. And for there to be accountability there, there does have to be a shared grasp of of some baseline of reality. And then, as you said very well, an ability to uphold the truths, the real truths of those who are the most vulnerable or in the most uh, potentially harmed in a given situation by our actions. Yeah. Rather than and, defensiveness. And for me, the, the art, I mean, I can, I, I can, it really is one of those, like I can go where their thinking is but that's not the point. They're the people in power. Yes. Right. The, the dominant denomination in this moment are the people in power. And we need to think about the way they're functioning out of that power with the people that are, you know, How about they lose their ordination status. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> also, you know, I know you spoke about the tone deafness and maybe this is what you were alluding to, but I feel like it's kind of, it's kind of, unless they were looking for this, it's kind of stupid to pull out a passage about, you know, rape and abuse when that's like a hallmark of religious institutions. Like, you know, as why would you go there, uh, you know, unless you're really trying to go there? Um, and and, I, and, I honestly and itself, think it was an intentional. Yeah. And in itself is an is an act to 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 spotlight the issue to spotlight that issue and hope that that people that folks speak to it but i don't know that basically you know that's the audience that you are gonna hope is gonna pull that out to your point that's that's a lot to put on people who are trying to get through an ordination to go like hey yeah um so you know Church sexual abuse is, you know, fairly rampant uh, in denominations and religions today. Uh, yeah, here's a Bible passage. Uh, speak on that. Will you see the connection? And I'm like, well, and part of your response needs to be, how would you respond to this pastorally? Mm. How how do you respond to this text pastorally? And then their response was the most unpastoral response, like Oof. ever. <laughs> Yeah. You know, um, and and so that's the part that you're like, you can't even model what you're asking right. done. Mm. And and so that I mean, it just gets so 
so I, I use that as an example. I didn't actually plan on talking about it because I, I, it's really hard to talk about, to be honest. Well, I'm glad um, you brought it up. I probably should have actually had that in the topics because I think that is something important to talk about that's sort of, that is recent and. Yeah, and I'm I'm just for any Presbyterian listening or who's been involved, like I'm still working this out. I'm like I'm still working on it because right. it has it has had a train re a, a a chain reaction in so many levels of the abuses of power, and so many like okay, let me argue the other side for a second. Let me let me figure this out. Um, in terms of a person on a committee, and and I'm. I'm still in the middle of all of it is all I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, but the way that it has, the way that it has triggered people's not just own um, feelings of the text of sexual assault, you know, which is very real, very real and valid, but it's also triggered people's just general church abuse and general, like the hoop jumping that certain people easily get in and certain people don't. And, and how there isn't really an accommodation, the same conversation we were having earlier for the other, you know, if you're, if you don't fit into this narrow category, then sorry, you don't fit. Um, it's, it's so multifaceted and mm. the ability, the inability for people to be reflective on that, the people in power to be reflective on that. I just, I, I don't know what we're going to end up doing. I just sent the email to ask our committee to consider and asked our stated clerk, like, do we have any, it, it may just be a letter, but like, what, what are options here that yeah. we have right. as a committee that, you know, is responsible for these candidates? Yeah. Um, so anyway, I just, I say that to, this is exactly the hard work we have to do, but it is hard and it is exhausting. Um, yeah. But now I'm on the other side, right? I'm an ordained person. I'm now on a position of power. It's my responsibility to hold the the larger people in power, you know, responsible. Yep. So you got to that, that And after that hard work, the last thing you need is to go have beer with some friends who argue with you. <laughs> like, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Exactly. No, exactly. Well, maybe breakfast, depending on what's on the menu. Maybe, maybe. Well, and it's, I've had three conversations with three different groups of clergy, of Presbyterian clergy people. And each one of them starts with, I really have mixed feelings on this. And I'm like, Yes. So let's hold all of that container and let's yeah. also let's so sorry thoughts but what's interesting about that conversation each one of those conversations with I don't know if I'm the right person to talk to because I have mixed feelings on this and I'm like I do too and that's exactly why we're the people that need to be <laughs> exactly, talking about this right right yeah, yeah, because it's right. not cut and dry to me right. and I I want to think this through and I want to talk about it and I think that in a day and age when everything really is so polarized, not that it's linear, but when you're when you're kind of like, oh, I really do see both sides, or I, I can kind of see an argument like, or like, okay, this is a situation where nobody's handling this well. You know, how do we get to this? Um, how do we get to the like address the problem in a productive way? And, and a lot of those people, myself included in the past, have said, well, I'm out because I don't want to have this, you know, like yeah. these people are crazy and these people are not wrong, but, you know, not acting right. And and being and, the person who says, you know, we really have to figure this out and do better. And 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 you're highlighting the 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 danger of of folks rushing to establish a truth because we, we want to avoid the struggle of nuance. You want to avoid the hard stuff. So it's much easier to declare these are the truths and therefore any 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 pushback to the truth or any highlighting of, well, your truth leaves this out or your truth, mm -hmm. you know, um, affects this particular group in this way or whatever, then it's like, we don't want to work so hard. Like, leave us alone. <laughs> Let's yeah. call it the truth and be, and be done with it. But 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 the truth isn't always evolving thing so i mean for me it's like it's, it's 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 almost better to say to ask if something is true to go well it feels good for today but stay tuned like right you know yeah yeah and and you know it 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 can bring up a good part of a discussion which mm -hmm. is hey 
pastors, we really have to do our mental health work and we yeah. really have to take care of ourselves because these texts do exist in the Bible and you, it is going to become, it is going to be a reality of your pastoral care and et cetera, et cetera. My question is, so is that's, that is absolutely a great conversation. Is an ordination exam the right place to have that conversation? Right. Like, you know, that's the question I'm asking. So yeah. again, it's, it's, so you're absolutely right in this. We need to be able to hear that from each other. So, hey, what you're saying isn't wrong about a minister's mental health and capacity, but is now the time to have that conversation? And is it your place to have it? You know, so. Right. Let's, right. Let's with with ordination hanging in the balance, you know, hanging all, in, I mean, all of that. which yeah. lets all three of us have been through a process. I mean, that is already. Yeah. Um, like you stress I mean, triggers you, are already it's, it's already a lot <laughs> it's already a lot yeah. it's a lot anyway so yeah i i think this is a conversation that we very much need to have often and in our churches and as as honestly in anywhere we can and and to find those topics at least when i was pastoring it actually was hard in our church brian i don't know if you have this but it was hard in our church to actually find topics where they're where we really were kind of in the middle and struggling because, or maybe we didn't push hard enough because we all kind of did agree. We all kind of were, you know, um, Unified. on the same page with things. And, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't know. So going back to that prayer breakfast, we may need to put ourselves in more situations where we're, <laughs> you know, around people that, you know, like I hear you and, you know, let's right? try to, let's try to find our way out of this together. Yeah. For sure. So speaking of uh, interesting texts, we have a verse here from Jeremiah, the prophet, uh, 23, 24, which says, can anyone hide himself in secret places? So I shall not see him, says the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth? The idea sort of being that, you know, God is all seeing, all knowing. You can't be out of range of view of, of God. And there was an interesting quote that uh, the Lutheran pastor and author Nadia Boltz Weber um, put out last week, which says, if you've been told that God is some kind of punishing, angry bastard with a killer surveillance system, who's basically always disappointed with you for being a human being, then you have been lied to. So she's was getting it, into was more it, than... Was, was it a Chinese spy balloon or was it God? <laughs> Uh, was it a heavenly spy balloon? Listen, oh. listen, this verse, this verse is the basis of all my adolescent sexual shame right here. Right. This verse. Re oh, right. Yeah. 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 Right. The idea that God Which, is always watching is exactly, exactly. So like any, any teenage sexual act from masturbation to fooling around with somebody like, this is this is it right here. Unless we think that's harmful, I'm still unpacking all of that yeah. because that shit goes deep. <laughs> you know, those things are so, hard enough with no one watching, but let alone <laughs> that's what okay. Whoa. Whoa. Listen to what you just said. We'll scratch that from the record. <laughs> I, I think he knew. I think he knew. This is why you don't drink eight-year-old beer, man. Okay, that is hashtag dad jokes gone wrong. Like, <laughs> oh no, oh my god. Okay, yeah. Nope, you got nothing. Don't, don't even, don't even try. But this is this this is a a verse that is so often weaponized to control and inspire shame in people, and uh, we 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 need to stop. We need to stop using it. Uh, to instill fear into young people uh, and 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 make them not make 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 them not honor what whatever's going on in their lives at, at any given point in time. Um, you know what's so ironic about that, Ogan, is that, that? The, it's a the text is about false prophecy. Uh huh. And like what you're describing is abusing scripture for false prophecy, like. Um, you know, you know, has, has, has anyone ever used a, has ever, who, who uses verses in the context in which they are written, right? We just, we, 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 
I like to at least because you're a good pastor. No, no. I. But so, whenever, when, whenever you see someone take a Bible verse and use it and weaponize it as an instrument of control, nine and a half times out of the ten, it is lost from the context in which it was already written. So, and 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 I always say to folks, if someone is throwing a Bible verse at you, like back up, read the whole goddamn chapter, read yeah. the whole goddamn book, like yeah. figure out what is the context of that verse. Cause half the time, not half the time, almost all the time, it is not written to be weaponized in the way that someone is using it. For sure. So I went to, I went to the NRSV because Brian's translation, like I couldn't even hear it. Yeah. So- sorry. <laughs> I, I should have gotten a better translation. But ah. it, so it, it's in the middle of a paragraph. So What's interesting is it starts off by saying, am I a God nearby, says the Lord, and not a God far off, right? So this whole idea that God is not involved in the intimacy of our lives is what is being addressed, right? And and that is something we've had a conversation about um, over and over again. And so all of this, you know, God is far away. This is the exact text that's saying, no, 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 like, I am a God nearby. I I am not a guard far off. Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, says the Lord. Do I not fill the heaven and the earth? I have heard the prophets who have said prophecies lie in my name, right? Like, and then it goes on. In fact, I'm so close by. I'm so close by. I'm hearing all this crazy (laughs) shit that everybody's saying that is wrong. So have Mm. at it, guys. Like, have a great time. You know, I want you to be happy and I'll be happy with you right Come so there's a, as well you're saying in context there's a really good there's a really good thing being said there but read isolated and then extrapolating a personal experience to it can suddenly make mm-hmm. you be like oh my gosh this is terrifying absolutely which is the angry god like the angry god that punishes that blah blah yeah. blah like as some sort of surveillance system this isn't god saying i'm a surveillance system in a bad way this is god saying there isn't anywhere you can go to hide. So I, I know when somebody is telling you wrong and when they're not, so you don't have to hide that pain from me. I'm here with you. Like I'm, I'm here in the midst of that. So, I mean, this is a, this is a text about pain. This isn't a text about. It's a Santa Claus doctrine. Joy (laughs) and pleasure. (laughs) Oh, I'm always watching. I, I, I know that now. But that's that's but that's it not what I was told. I'm always watching, right? It isn't I'm right. always watching. No, it's not. That's not what the text is. The text is no. like I am I am not far. I am there's yes. there isn't the, the, anything the, that I'm not part of. You are not right. alone. There's, you're not alone. Yes. Or 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 there's there's an indistinguishable oneness and unity exactly. with, with God. That's what the right. verse is saying. That's what the verse is saying. I wish that's how it was taught to me as a as a very hormone-ridden, horny adolescent. No, no, it was not. Right. So we're all basically affirming the Boltzweber quote. Yes. Yes. Yes, and we I... are. <laughs> Especially the who is basically always disappointed with you for being a human being. I love that part of it. <sighs> no, yeah. You know what? This is and, and this is where I still use parental language for God, but I'm like, no, that was that. There were parent. I can put parent names on that, or teacher names mm, on that, yes. or grandparent names on that. But right. God's not a name I put on that, so I need to be very careful. <laughs> like I still use that language because I talk. Brian, stop drinking that beer. <laughs> it's starting to look really sketch at the bottom. I'm gonna have to text Christy and be like, Dude, Brian's on it was the sketchy floor. from the time you poured it. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> You pour that berry. And we were both like, what is happening with that? I might need to chase it down with some bourbon later just to clean out the. Just to wipe the system. Anyway, but sterilize yourself. We've got to be careful with that on both ways to not conflate God with people and people with God, right? Yeah. 100%. We're human beings who have all had experiences, who have all whatever, and, and none of that, even, I mean, even in the best love that we have received, even in our memories where our grannies were the images of unconditional love, they they weren't, right? Oh, like, no, they weren't, no. Well, but even when you have that feeling about someone, you know, they 
it, or even if you, that was your experience of them, that wasn't everyone's experience of them. So, right. you know, finding that, finding a way to, to not conflate what people tell you versus who God is, you know. And, 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 and part of, part of that begins with, with stop using the gender pronouns for God altogether. Yeah. Like stop using he, stop using her. Like use right, God, but in, use... in this verse I read, there was no pronouns for God. God, the, the example was just a person, and yes, oh, no, no, I, no, no, I, I, I know that. I was going earlier. Which is so I... much worse, Brian. I have to say, <laughs> I'm going to say it. It's so much worse. You could say, it. you could say, it. you could say. It. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying as an aside. And earlier, when you were talking about the prayer breakfast, you mentioned that that he was used for God. And let's and let's be clear when we say the word God whether we are religious or not, whether we're atheists, whether we're whatever, because of patriarchy in religion, a masculine idea comes to mind, like automatically, you know, especially within the Christian context. So, so I, I am trying to use the habit of using God as the pronoun for God, mm-hmm. rather than he, him, and, and to also stop putting the binary on God, divine masculine, divine feminine. Because because that also supports a lot of like um, genderization and, and and patriarchal labels. Because when you when you even look at the qualities of divine masculine, divine feminine, they're suspiciously they they suspiciously hold up men in strength and leadership positions and women in positions of of you know servitude and and positions of 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 behind the scenes. So I am I'm so I think that's a good invitation for all of us to really try to rewire rewire that stuff because even after all this time when i hear the word god i still default to something to, to something masculine yeah and and by the way the inclusive bible is really good and helpful there because i used to just retranslate that's not what i read from my it's not my inclusive bible isn't accessible right now but um I would just rewrite it as I read it out loud or as I mm-hmm. read it and said it. But I found that actually having a Bible that didn't, I didn't have to do that work was That's helpful, even more helpful yeah. because it didn't, it didn't immediately conjure up the male image or even the personhood kind of image of God um, first. It, like it allowed me into that second way first. Does that make sense? Yep. No, <laughs> I'm leapfrogging here. But you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I didn't have to do all that work. And so and, it's and even- what is the, what is the, is there a translation that that is closest to aside from the, the inclusive language adjustments? You know what it, I mean? Um, yeah. Like I mean, the it's, NIV inclusive. It's like the, the NIV inclusive, inclusive, but it goes further. It goes with, it really goes that extra place of people and for God. Um, yeah. and is, and it's really just a very, I, I found, I, I was introduced to it when I was at Iona in the spring nice. and it's a very beautiful, um, a, a little less, um, a little more poetry than the NRSV is. And yeah. now even the NRSV has been updated. It's the right new revised standard updated version. Um, correct. This is why, this is why you just don't read the Bible anymore. Just too much. God damn work. Whoa. But anyway, so I, so I, I, we do have the inclusive Bible and that's what we use now in our house and Sweet. even gave it and gave it to my daughter, like to replace right. her Bible to say, okay, let's work on this with you, you know, yeah. let's do this together. Yeah. Did that, did that shake you a little bit there, Brian? Your reaction was a little uh, strong, strongly declaring that. No, good. Okay. Just checking. <laughs> what did, what did check him? It, nothing. It, after that beer, nothing shakes Brian. <laughs> right. I'm it's about not reading the Bible anymore. This is this. Oh, oh, much, oh yeah. Well, work. I'll be praying yeah. for you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you but, got 90% oh. of it memorized from childhood. What you need Isn't that one of the, like the most shaming statements you've heard in Christian oh, I'll, I'll pray for you. I'll pray oh, absolutely. For you. Oh, absolutely. So, oh, okay. Just quick recommendation here at the end before you leave. We were driving this weekend and we listened to, um, uh, Armchair expert Dak Shepard's podcast with um, Octavia Spencer, mm. and yes. she I started listening to that and finish it yet. Did so she kept using this phrase with jobs she wanted to turn down where they wouldn't offer um, very much money or blah blah blah, and she go thank them for me, thank them, yeah. 
you know? And so like Derek and I are like, we are putting that everywhere in our house. Like thank them for me, baby. Won't you thank them (laughs) as the biggest, like F you like thank them for me. (laughs) So that's my new phrase next to bless your heart. And, and I'll be praying for you. (laughs) There you go. So thank you, friends, for tuning in to Pub Theology Live. You can show your love for the show by becoming a supporter on Patreon. To get access to pre- and post-show banter and more, visit patreon.com slash ptlive to get started. And a big thank you to our current patrons. We will not be praying for you. We will not. Prayers of gratitude. If, if you don't, you know what? If you don't <laughs> sign up, I'll be praying for you. Listen anytime on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Top cities tuning in this week are Brian, listening to our own podcast, All in Michigan, Mooresville, North Carolina, and Bryson City, North Carolina. Somebody was traveling. I went north, so that wasn't me. You can watch the video for these conversations on Facebook Live. And if you'd like to start a pub theology gathering in your town, find support and resources at pubtheology.com. So until next time, friends, drink responsibly and keep those conversations flowing. Brian, stop drinking that beer. (laughs) 